Welcome, everyone, to episode five of the Peach State Tailgate Sports Podcast. It is the episode you've all been waiting for, including us. It is dog time. Dog time. We have been foaming at the mouth to break down the SEC East and talk about wins and uh, what we think the over-under projections should be and what they are according to FanDuel Sportsbook and what we got them at as far as the SEC goes. And uh, you know the dogs are the king of the East, and uh, we're going to run this thing back. You know, spoiler alert, but um, we're excited to get into it. We went over the West in the last episode, so you knew the East was coming. We saved it for the for the end, and um, we're pumped to go over it. It's going to be a little bit of a different format for you today. We don't have as much Braves talk. Baseball is uh, just kind of kicking back after that pitiful series against the Mets that we talked about. Um, we got some DeJounte Murray stuff to go over. He's an absolute dog. Absolute and, dog, for uh, sure. We want to hit on the NFL Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame candidates came out uh, of first-year eligibility for some of these guys, so we've got the list. We want to kind of give our two cents on what to expect there. And then uh, as far as the SEC goes, it's East time, baby. It's time to talk about the dogs. I am fired up. Jake, what do you think? I am so fired up. I I believe we are, what, uh, two and a half weeks now, pretty much, from week zero kicking off. Uh, so we're right around the corner from college football, and I know we are very excited. Uh. Ken and I will be on a boat that weekend, uh, betting on some games and a sports bar on a cruise boat. So that's going to be a first. It's going to be a great experience for us. And, uh, you know, Maybe. I think we're both getting internet patches. So if you can't catch us on here for any sports betting advice, uh, we'll probably be on the Twitter, you know, putting some stuff out, giving, giving our takes on the, on the Peach State, Peach State tailgate Twitter. So, or Peach State pod, I believe is the Twitter. Yep. Oh, yep. We have it. We have it right, well, well, right there. If you, if, Anybody on YouTube, you can see that. Um, so we're, we're going to be doing that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so what do we want to start off with, Kenny? You want to start off with a little bit of baseball? Yeah, let's just kind of let, you know, go over where we are and uh, what's going on right now at the Braves. Okay, so today, which is Tuesday, um, August 9th, uh, the Braves are playing, right now they're playing the Boston Red Sox. The Braves entered today's action seven games on a first. I believe the Reds-Mets game got delayed, but it probably should be started by now. I don't have it written down. Uh, yeah, they're winning. The Mets are winning two to nothing in the top of the fourth, so they're actively beating the Reds. The Braves, on the other hand, and I know we're tied up five to five against the Red Sox. Uh, I don't want to dive too much into our game because we will cover that on Thursdays because we don't have a game from yesterday to cover. Uh, I do have a little bit of minor league stuff to talk about. Just one one quick note on the minor league stuff. Uh. Starting pitching prospect Darius Vines got the call from Mississippi to Gwinnett, and he's a guy I've been pretty excited to see. So seeing him get to get that call up to Gwinnett is going to be nice. Uh, he might be a guy that starts to, you know, pitch his way into a rotation conversation. I'm not going to say makes his way into a rotation because we kind of got a, a couple guys in front of him still. But he's a guy I've been pretty high on probably the past two years, and to see him get that call to Gwinnett was awesome. Uh, we also had a very scary thing happen the other day. Uh, Braden and Shoemake and Travis DeMerit had a collision in the outfield. And from what I had heard, I had heard this on earlier this today, uh, Shoemake actually got up to pick the ball up, fell on the ground, and uh, he, he like acted like he had a leg injury. And when the cart came, it got him. They had his legs dangling off, and I think he, he lost consciousness. So I don't know if it's a leg injury or a head injury. I don't know what happened with him, but it, it was it was from what I heard, it's a pretty scary thing. And I hate to smile and smirk at it and, and make a joke out of it because it certainly is not a joke, but when you – see the report that it's a leg injury and then see the guy being carted off with his legs dangling, that's a little bit concerning. 
Yeah, yeah. I think everybody everybody thought it was a leg injury, and then, like I said, his his legs were dangling off. I don't know how those minor league carts work. I don't think they have any that can fit a grown man on the back. So, you know, those minor yeah. league funds might might be a little bit low. Yeah, can can we get the boys a power stroke, please? Long bed, throw that thing out there, drop the tailgate. I mean, these are big boys. All right, we need to uh, you know, come on, Braves, Liberty Media, top five in payroll. Can we afford maybe a trailer for the back of that thing? I don't know. We need something. We need to get those guys right. Uh, just a little look ahead. I believe we we play Boston again tomorrow. Uh, and then we have an off day Thursday. Then we head into a four game series in three days against the Marlins with a doubleheader set on Saturday. So just a little look ahead. We also have a four game series at home against the Mets right after. So things are starting to get a little bit tense right now. Uh, obviously we want to make the most of these series coming up before the Mets, and then make the most of that series. So. You know, if anything, right now we were playing for that wild card spot. I believe we have a three game lead on the wild card spot. And I think that's what with only two and a half in front of the Phillies in the second spot. So we don't really have much, much, much wiggle room to play around with like we did maybe like a week ago. So we need to maintain, win some ball games, and uh, roll. Yeah, with the Padres skid, the Phillies did just take sole ownership of that second spot. Nice, nice. Uh, well, that that's that's it on my baseball. Just a little bit of minor league stuff today, and uh, we'll we'll get back into Braves coverage uh, Friday's episode. Yep. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about basketball. So basketball season's kind of over right now. Whenever we started the podcast, we kind of started the podcast like the dead season of basketball. So we haven't had much basketball stuff to talk about, but we do discuss basketball. Uh, I know we also discuss hockey. Uh, Kenny's the hockey guy. I'm not really the hockey guy, and I'm the basketball guy. So, uh, but we do want to talk about Dejounte Murray. This is in Atlanta. Uh, based Georgia, actually Georgia-based podcast, and uh, Dejounte Murray. Obviously, everybody knows he's our new addition from the San Antonio Spurs. We traded a full package to get him, three first rounders, I believe, is what what it took to get him. But he is playing in. I don't want to specify what league it is exactly because I honestly have no idea. But I know he's playing against the number one overall pick, uh, Paolo Banchero. And he, uh, if you haven't seen the video yet on Twitter. You need to go check it out because he absolutely babied that man. And then they took it to social media and exchanged a lot of fun words over uh, Instagram stories back and forth, which was which was an interesting thing to keep up with. I think the whole basis of stuff was DeJounte Murray said that whenever um, Paolo got to the NBA, he completely changed and he didn't stay humble. So DeJounte Murray wanted to humble him. And if you watch the video, I don't know what happened in the whole game. All I was seeing was video clips of the same thing. Paolo might have scored 40, DeJounte might have scored 10. I don't know. But uh, in that one video clip that got put out, he it, it, it looked good for DeJounte. It, it was a nice thing to see. And honestly, seeing DeJounte in San Antonio, I did not expect this to be the type of personality he is. I thought, like, just seeing how he kind of managed himself on the on the floor, he kind of seemed like a quiet type guy to me. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's definitely not that. He's, he, looks like, he looks like an Atlanta, Atlanta guy, so... We'll take him here. We love dogs in Atlanta. We love dogs in Georgia. So if we can add another dog to the squad, we always love it. Absolute dog. Absolute dog to go go along with uh, you know, one of the most hated players in the NBA, Mr. Trey Young. So it it should be we should be in some in for some fun come late October when the when them Hawks come rolling back around. Well, can yeah, you, I, oh go ahead, go I, ahead. I was gonna say I didn't know these guys had any kind of history too. Like that seems super random to me. I wouldn't have put these two guys in the same sentence uh, as far as you know anything that they had in the past. Apparently, Paolo was like re- used to ask to rebound for Dejounte um, back before they got to the league, and now he's coming out here and he's super cocky. And you saw the social media exchanges between the two. 
So that's kind of funny. Those are two guys I would not have uh, pinned to have a beef against each other. And, uh, you know, Banchero, you saw he, he got a little fiery in the tournament. So maybe oh, yeah. you kind of expected it from him, but definitely not DeJounte, especially coming out of San Antonio. So this dude um, is barely a Hawk and might be the most Atlanta player on the team. Yeah, that is true. Is this, uh, I, I, he reminds me of George Pickens on a basketball court. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, let's get, let's, I, this is not on our plan, but I, I do want to mention George Pickens. Uh, the videos I've seen coming out of camp. George Pickens looks like an absolute freak. Oh, my Lord. This guy might come into the league and be a top-tier wide receiver right away. And then their other guy, Mr. Uh, oh, my. Why? How come? I am forgetting his name. Deontay Johnson. Hey, Johnson. Deontay Johnson just got paid. Maybe the Steelers. Maybe the Steelers got some weapons for old Mitch over there in Pittsburgh. Yeah, they got the MVP thrown to him. Mm-hmm. Money man Mitch. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to mention Pickens. I saw the little thing where he, like, ran he like tipped the ball up in the air and then he caught it when he was on the ground and he jumped up and like did a celebration mid-practice it was it was very george pickens like and it was very awesome and we love to see it all right kenny that that thing i think that's it in my uh stuff i want to talk about right now so do you want to do hall of fame first is that is that what we're gonna dive into first and i'll let i'll let, I'll let you make that decision no that sounds good to me uh they're the um the NFL released the uh, first year eligible players for the Hall of Fame coming up this upcoming season, and the list is pretty interesting to say the least. There's a couple guys on there that um I'm not sure what you think, Jake, but I was a little bit um surprised to see some of the names because there's a few guys that I just wouldn't have as like you know off the top of my head who I would project to make it. So I'm curious to see who the voters uh, get in there. Uh, you see a list of some some absolute legends on here that are for sure i think shoe ins but then a couple guys that i'm not too sure about so i'm curious to see what you think it's not something that we're going to spend a lot of time on we don't have a lot of background to go off of um it's not like a main segment or anything but just kind of flying off the dome and getting some you know face value opinions and kind of first take looks at this um i want to hear what what you got to say about it all right, so uh, let me let me. I'm sorry. Let me pull up my Twitter on my phone. I was trying to get it on my computer, but that's not working. So if you just give me one sec, I will get that thing that you sent me back up. All right, so we have eligible candidates in the backfield. We have uh, Sean Alexander, Tiki Barber, Eddie George, Priest Holmes, Jamal Lewis, and Fred Taylor. Um, and then DBs, we have Rondé Barber, Antonio Cromartie, Rodney Harrison, Asante Samuel, Charles Tillman, aka Peanut, Troy Vincent. We also have, this is the first year, guys. Uh, Camp Chancellor, Dwight Freeney, James Harrison, Chris Johnson, Darrell Revis, and Joe Thomas. Uh, the eligible wide receivers are Anquan Bolden, Torrey Holt, Devin Hester, Chad Johnson, Steve Smith, Reggie Wayne. And then the front seven, we have Jared Allen, Robert Mathis, Zach Thomas, Demarcus Ware, Vince Wilfork, and Patrick Willis. I mean, it's kind of a loaded list, to be honest. No, it it, de it definitely is a loaded list. Uh, so so what's the route we want to take right here? Do we want to give our our ideas? So you want to start off with first year guys, the first year guys I listed with Chancellor Farini, Harrison, Johnson, Revis, and Joe Thomas, the guys you feel like could be like first year guys to get in. I think that's probably where it's most interesting and controversial, oh, definitely. I guess you could say, because there's a couple guys on here that I just you know I know it's their first year, but I don't even know. I don't know if I would have them on the board. Yeah, there's uh. Do you want to start off? Because I, I see a couple guys on here that I would probably put in. Uh, there's there's one guarantee on that list, and I, I think most people probably know who it is. Um, I'll, I'll let for you me, give... 
I'll let you give yours first and then I'll dive into it a little bit. For me, those two 100% don't even have to think about it, guys, on the list. And for me, those two are Joe Thomas and Darrell Revis. Yes, no doubt. Joe Thomas is the biggest lock you can almost ever put on a Hall of Fame ballot. He will make it all the time. Joe Thomas is a one of the best players of his position ever. Yeah, Joe Thomas is probably in the conversation the best offensive lineman of all time, if not, you know, top five type player. He's obviously, in my opinion, the toughest NFL player ever. I mean, he went on the crazy streak of playing I don't even know how many consecutive starts and consecutive seasons, but it was nuts. Um and he played tackle for the Browns, which was obviously until here recently a bottom of the barrel franchise and bottom of the barrel organization. So to kind of stick through all the years that he made out there in Cleveland and see as much PT as he did and as many starts as he did. And he really dominated. I mean, that guy's no question for me. Um, first ballot, don't even have to think about it. And the same with the real Revis. Drill Revis, I guess, is kind of controversial because a lot of people think he's the greatest corner of all time. I personally don't. Um, Revis Island was definitely the thing growing up, especially in our day and age. He was the kind of guy that you watched, and he did dominate. I know people say he fell off in his later years, but uh, that's kind of across the board. You see a lot of guys, especially at defensive back position. I mean, look at look at Richard Sherman, you know. Um, but Darrell Revis, for me, is a lock as well with Joe Thomas. Um, so I don't know if you have anything else on those two guys. Uh, I don't have anything else to say on those two guys. I think I think you pretty much covered it well with uh Joe Thomas, uh Darrell Revis. Obviously, he was a he was a lockdown corner. He was the number one corner for a, a good bit of years. So I I feel like Darrell Revis is is also a shoe in. Those were those were two of the guys I mentioned, and I I also feel like Dwight Freeney. Dwight Freeney, I feel like he's a guy that's also going to get in. Uh, Dwight Freeney, he had a legendary career at the Indianapolis. Uh. I'm actually I actually put up a website. It's uh I want to give the futurefootballlegends.com. I'm going to give a little reference to them. Um and it has a thing called legend score and what it does is it takes a lot of like all pro first teams and it does like point systems based off all of them. So in everybody in the Hall of Fame class in 2023, uh Joe Thomas is second in legend score. Dwight Freeney is fourth and Darrell Revis is fifth. So if you combine all their accolades and stuff, that, that that's how they rank up. Yeah, it's pretty good too. I think those are probably pretty accurate. So I, I'm a I'm a fan of that. Yeah, and there's there's also one thing I would like to mention. Uh, the, our list that we pulled up on Twitter that they put out does not mention it, but Shane Leckler is a first year Hall of Fame guy, and there's only one punter in the Hall of Fame, and it's Ray Guy. But if we go off legend score. Um, Shane Leckler is by far, he is by far the highest legend score among punter, among any specialist in NFL history with a 73 and you go down to Ray Guy and Ray Guy has a 37. So uh, Shane Leckler, I know he, he, Ray Guy is the only guy and he has a whole award named after him, but you know, I wouldn't be too opposed to see Shane Leckler get in there. I mean, he was probably the best punter of our lifetime for sure. So I'll, I'll give it to him. 100% put him in there without a doubt. Uh, Let's, another, um, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, let's walk through, as far as Twitter, this is uh, BR Gridiron that posted this uh, graphic um, for the first year, guys. Let's just run through the short list that we have in front of us to kind of give the, the listeners, you know, a perspective of what we're looking at. Um, so it's a list of six guys that are eligible for the first year. Um, it's Cam Chancellor at safety, Dwight Freeney at DN, James Harrison at linebacker, Chris Johnson at running back, and then previously mentioned Darrell Revis and Joe Thomas. Yeah, and I, I feel like I feel like guys like like I loved Cam Chancellor. Cam Chancellor is awesome. Uh, Chris Johnson, same. 
But I feel like these are just two guys you throw on this list just because of their name. And I'm not saying they're bad players at all, but I don't know if I would consider either one of those uh, Hall of Fame players. And I was just men mentioning the thing, uh, the legend score thing. For reference, uh, Darrell Revis has a 39 legend score and Cam Chancellor has a 10. So I don't think that... And Chris Johnson has an 8. So I don't know what they really do. Eddie Lacy has 4. So Yeah, obviously we hit on it. Joe Thomas and Darrell Revis are pretty unanimous, both of our 1 and 2. Um... I'm cool with Dwight Freeney and James Harrison both. Chris Johnson and Cam Chancellor, um, I, I'm not – I don't think I would uh, give a vote to the to either of those guys. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, another guy I would look for, uh, he was on the belt last year. Last year was his first year, but it's uh, Devin Hester, I believe. Would, did, yeah, Devin Hester. Uh, I feel like he's a guy that should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he's the, he's the greatest return specialist ever. And if you're the greatest at anything in any in anything in life, I think that you are uh, very dominant because it's very hard to be the greatest at any given thing in life. So I'll give Mr. Devin Hester that. So from a receiver standpoint, you look at this list as well. Um, I'll run through it really quick. Anquan Bolden, Torrey Holt, Devin Hester, Chad Johnson, Ocho Cinco, Steve Smith, and Reggie Wayne. Um, Devin Hester would be the number one to me because he is undoubtedly the greatest returner of all time. And like you said, if you're the greatest anything of all time, you deserve to be in there. Um, I, I'm also pretty high on both Torrey Holt and Reggie Wayne as well. Now, I do like Steve Smith, and I do like Chad Ochocinco. Um, if I were to go between those two guys, I would probably give the edge to Ochocinco. Um, do I think he is ultimately deserving? I'm not 100% sure. I wouldn't be upset to see him make it. Um, the only guy I'm looking at on this list and thinking uh, probably not for me is Anquan Bolden, uh, followed by Steve Smith. But, again, Steve Smith is kind of a, a, a mid-tier guy to me. No, I, I agree. Uh, to me, my top is Torrey Holt, but besides yeah. Devin Hester. We mentioned Devin Hester. But my top is Torrey Holt. Uh, after that, I agree with you on the Reggie Wayne-Chad Johnson aspect. I, I, don't think, I don't think either of those guys ever make it in the Hall of Fame. And, honestly, I can't say I think that either of those guys are Hall of Famers. Uh, and again, Anquan Bolden was amazing, but I he's just not a guy I see being in the NFL Hall of Fame. So that, that that's my take on that. I agree, hundred percent. I go to the uh, front seven. Yeah, let's do front seven. Um. Okay. So defensive end Jared Allen, also Robert Mathis at linebacker. You have Zach Thomas, uh, defensive end linebacker to Marcus Ware, defensive tackle um, Vince Wilfork, and then linebacker Patrick Willis. Um, I'm going to start this list off, me personally, by saying that um, Patrick Willis is the second best linebacker that I've ever seen play football. So please put him in there. Yeah, Patrick Willis is a Hall of Famer. To me, Zach Thomas is a Hall of Famer. Uh, I, I don't see Jared Allen as a Hall of Famer as much as I like Jared Allen. Big Jared Allen fan, but uh, I, I'm not really too sure if I see him being a guy that makes it in. Uh, he's another one of those guys that just... What he did on the field, everybody loved him, but I don't know if he ever did enough to be considered a Hall of Famer. Uh, Robert Mathis. Robert Mathis is a very interesting guy. Uh, again, I don't see him being in the NFL Hall of Fame. An amazing player, uh, but I don't see it. And for Vince Wilfork and Demarcus Ware, uh, I don't see. Either. I see Demarcus Ware making it. I I will say that I do see Demarcus Ware making it. I believe this is. His first year or second year, maybe. How long has Demarcus Ware been on the ballot? I don't, I don't think too long. Yeah, I don't think too long at all. And uh, he's he's a guy I could see making it, but honestly, Vince Wilfork, I, I don't see him making it unless, you know, it's it's off a namesake. 
Okay, I'm gonna disagree with you on one on one point. Um, I I do have Jared Allen in there. I think Jared Allen, um, primarily just for how dominant he was in the seasons where he was elite. I know Jared Allen might not have the sustainability of some other guys when you look later into his career, but I do think Jared Allen, for the time that he was dominant, was one of the most dominant players I've ever seen. So I would be happy to see Jared Allen make it. I'm with you on Robert Mathis and Vince Wilfork both. Um, Obviously, my top two are going to be Patrick Willis and Zach Thomas. And for reference, I said Patrick Willis is the second-best linebacker I've ever seen play. It's second to Ray Lewis. And those guys kind of ruled the time that they were in the lead together as one and two. So I'm going to say Patrick Willis, Zach Thomas, Jared Allen, and Demarcus Ware for me. Uh, Vince Wilfork, I love you. Robert Mathis, you're an absolute stud. Um, I probably wouldn't give the nod to either one of those guys. No, I I, I, I respect that. I do respect it. Uh I also I found this website and and I am uh now I'm obvious I'm I'm honestly obsessed with this website and I'm about to pin it on my computer but uh and all this stuff is just random stuff obviously you know this doesn't really mean much because I think it also takes into like consideration like Pro Bowls and stuff but just for reference Jared Allen has a uh 25 Hall of Fame score and Haloti Nada has a 27. That's very interesting. That is a very, very interesting thing. And I, I just caught that live. Like, I, I want to give the little reference. This was something that Kenny had sent me. And right before we hopped on, we were like, hey, do you want to talk about this? Sure, why not? So it's not like we were super prepared for this. We don't have stats sitting in front of us. We don't have notes for it. Uh, it's just something we wanted to go. He is in front of James Harrison. Uh, but I, I don't think James Harrison's a Hall of Famer. But, you know, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see his case. Um. All right, so let's dive into the last couple of position groups that we have um, on this year's ballot uh, for backfield and defensive backs. Uh, backfield, this list is kind of interesting to me. There's a couple of names that stick out to me and two that I would give my Hall of Fame nod to. Um, you see the list top to bottom is Sean Alexander, Tiki Barber, Eddie George, Priest Holmes, Jamal Lewis, and Fred Taylor. For me, it's undoubtedly Sean Alexander and Eddie George. I was thinking the same exact thing. Those, those are the only two guys on that list that I would put in the Hall of Fame. I agree. I'm I'm actually happy you went that route. Uh, when we look at this right here, um, the thing I'm looking at, uh, Sean Taylor is the highest. Uh, he has the most out of any running back like that is currently on it, and it includes guys that even have future like candidacy, like Lashawn McCoy and Marshawn Lynch. Uh, the next closest guy is Frank Gore's on here, so none of these other guys are really even close. Priest Holmes is the next closest guy on this ballot. Like on that's showing these numbers, so I I'm with you on that. I feel like Sean Alexander and Eddie George are the two guys I would roll with. Hundred percent. Um, and then let's round it out with defensive backs. This list is pretty interesting as well. There's a couple avenues you could take. I have three. Um, top to bottom: Rondé Barber, Antonio Cromartie, Rodney Harris, and Asante Samuel, Charles Tillman, and Troy Vincent. For me, it is clearly Rodney Harrison, Asante Samuel, and Charles Tillman. I absolutely agree. Uh, I feel like um, Rodney Harrison and Asante Samuel, I have a little bit higher than Charles Tillman. I, I, I love the peanut punch. Uh, Charles Tillman is a legend, and I'm sure that anybody, any, co any coach out there will show their kids uh, Charles Tillman highlights because he was the master of forcing fumbles at the, at the cornerback position, and he was a little tiny guy. So, you know, it, he showed you could do it anyway, and I absolutely agree. Uh, Rondé Barber was also. Did you say him? I did not say him, but he is on the list. I I I think Rondé Barber or Rondé Barber also has has some pretty good one. 
not too big on Antonio Cromartie. I'm I'm not too high on his candidacy, but I could I honestly could see any of these guys making it. Defensive back's one of those positions too, to where you can have a couple sleepers. There's a couple iconic defensive backs from NFL history that are on the uh that are in the Hall of Fame. And uh, I, I don't think there's too bad of an argument that you can make for anybody on this list. Um I think an argument could be heard for, you know, any of these guys, but yeah, I agree with you on the standpoint of uh, Rodney Harrison and Asante Samuel at one and two, and then I have Peanut Tillman at three. I would put Peanut in there. Okay, yeah, I, I respect it. I I can go with it. I, don't, I ain't got nothing, nothing to say against it. So, you know, I'm, I'm cool with that one. Uh, So that was a little bit of Hall of Fame stuff. And like we said, this is not something that we had prepared for. This is just something we wanted to give give y'all. So this is more something that y'all can give y'all's own takes on if you didn't know about. And y'all can get a little bit of mine and Kenny's uh, knowledgeless takes, I will say. <laughs> Other than our eye test on guys that we watched when we were like thirteen, uh, you know that, that's about it. Yeah, put uh, put put Peyton Hillis in there first ballot. Yeah, Peyton Hillis, former 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 Madden cover athlete, Madden curse got him, but you know. Well, that rounds it out for me for Hall of Fame talk. I'm super pumped about this next segment, Jake. Are you ready to move on? I am so pumped, and this is what I've been waiting for since we started. So me? you know. Me too, brother. And I think, uh, you know, for anybody that's listening, any of our viewers, um, if you're listening to us, you are very, very, very aware of our fandom and where we stand as far as college football goes. So the SEC East is a big one for us because we are dogs. We're dog fans through and through. So we've been waiting on this one. You saw us break down the West in the last episode. We talked about the over-unders for wins and win totals and what we think we'll see. And our projections, we had a couple disagreements that were pretty interesting. And I'm curious to see what we think about the East when we stack up against each other. Because this is the uh, side of the SEC that we are most familiar with. We've been watching these teams play every year, our entire life, since we could see the TV and watch football. So let's dive into it, man. I want to kick it off in alphabetical order. Um, Let's start with the University of Florida. I'll let you kick it off, Jake. All right, so University of Florida is entering the season with an over-under of seven for total wins on the season. Uh, I, I'm not going to dog Florida fans yet. I, I have to say that for a little bit later. It's a tradition that I dog out Florida fans on this podcast or YouTube stream. Um, week one, they start off week one, and they have they play Utah at home. Uh, I had them losing that football game. Utah is a great football team, to say the least. I think Utah is a team that could potentially make a play for – a college football playoff spot. I don't know if that's something you also agree with, Kenny, but they are a team that could definitely possibly be in that conversation. With that conference and the way that it lines up, the competition is obviously very, very, very weak. So you saw the way they dominated last year against a team like Oregon. And, um, you know, we talked about it a little bit off air. And I think we watched both of those games last year together, if I'm not mistaken. And Utah was clearly the better football team. They're bringing back almost the entire team. They've got great coaching. They've got great players. So, um, and and obviously, I'm going to let Jake run through his before I run through mine and, and I do my breakdown. But I agree with you 100%. Florida's going to lose that week one matchup. All right, I'm pulling up a little bit of a uh, little bit of my my pack my my Big Ten my Big Twelve stuff or not Big Twelve. I'm sorry, my Pac Twelve stuff. I am messed up, and I'm looking back at my notes. And I remember a couple episodes ago, I had mentioned that it is between USC and Utah for me, and I had put USC in my college football playoff. So I wanted to mention that. Uh, just for a little pre, you know, little little knowledge about 
how high I might be on Utah. And to let you know that I think Utah is going to win that game, and I don't think it's going to be a rather close football game. Yeah, um, well, I will be putting my money on that football game. I'm curious to see what that spread looks like. I don't know if it's out, if you can get an early line on it. I'm assuming Utah is going to be favored. If I could catch like a six and a half on this game, I'd be a happy, happy dude. I would I would also put a little money on that. Okay, so we go into week two. Uh, week two, Florida's playing Kentucky at home. I have them also taking the L starting off the season 0-2. Then they play uh, University of Southern Florida at home, and I have them getting their first win of the season against University of Southern Florida. Week four, they go to Tennessee. I have them losing that game. Week five, they play Eastern Washington at home. I have them winning. Uh, week six, they play Missouri at home. I have them winning. And week seven, uh, they play LSU at home, and I have them winning that football game. I know we had talked about it last podcast, so I had to roll with it. And I will say it was a lot harder when I got to the, this side of it to put a, a dub by that. When I was just going through LSU's schedule, it was a lot easier to give them the L than it is to give Florida the dub. <laughs> but I had to stick with it. I didn't want to look like a bozo and be like, oh, yeah, Florida's going to lose this game. And then all of a sudden, all my stuff does not line up. So <laughs> this is kind of a forced thing from uh, past Jake that caused this. And we're going to roll with it for now. Uh, week eight, they head into a bye right before they play Georgia and Jacksonville. It's a neutral site game, but it's a home game for Georgia. We'll, we'll go ahead and say that. <laughs> Um, I obviously have them taking the L against Georgia. Uh, week 10 at Texas A&M, I have them losing that game. Uh, week 11, they play South Carolina at home. I have them losing that football game. Uh, week 12, they're going to Vanderbilt. I have them getting a fat dub. I will give you that, Florida fans. You might be Vanderbilt by 40. Um, week 13 at Florida State. This, is, this was a very, very hard one, and I would circle this one for maybe one of my most interesting games on Florida's schedule. Because we had discussed uh, Florida State in a little bit of depth uh, last week. Because what team is it? What team leads off against Florida State this year? Um, Jake, put me on the spot. I just put you on the spot so hard. Uh, I know we had talked about it and we looked it up. Week one, Florida State has LSU. LSU week one. That's correct. We had, we had talked a little bit more in depth about Florida State due to that on our SEC West breakdown. And... Uh, we talked some good stuff on Florida State, saying how Florida State could possibly win that game. I have Florida losing to Florida State at Florida State Week 13. That adds up to a final record of 5-7, and seven, so I am at a pretty healthy under on the over-under of seven wins for the University of Florida. All right. Well, I actually have a little bit of a breakdown on this Florida team because there's a, a couple interesting points for me. Um, a lot of people are high on Florida because of the guy we've mentioned several times, Anthony Richardson, the most unproven quarterback in college football. Yes. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and rip through this. Um, Florida, the over-under is seven, as Jake mentioned. Um, I've got some notes. I'm just going to kind of rip through it. Um, I hate the Billy Napier as a Gator now because now I have to hate him. Otherwise, this dude, uh, I'm a big fan of him. Um, so when you put on orange and blue, you turn into a absolute enemy to me. So uh, I hate I hate that I have to pull against a guy like Billy Napier, but a good way to make me do it is to put on a Florida polo and stand on the sidelines. Um, he's a good coach. You know, he demands a lot from his players. If anyone can get some good ball out of the boys from Gainesville, it's going to be him. Um, now, with that being said, this team is absolutely hot garbage, man. Um, Anthony Richardson is an unproven player and is severely, severely overrated. This man played seven games last year. He touted a 59% completion percentage, a whopping 529 passing yards, and the incredibly impressive touchdown-interception ratio of 6-5. to five. Um, Now, he does run pretty well, which is a good thing when you consider the big question marks that this team has at running back and offensive line. Um, 
So you, know, you take that as you will. Now, all right, I, I bashed Florida's offense enough, so let's talk about the strong suits of the offense. Um, the receiving core, they're bringing back junior Justin Shorter. He's the clear number one wide receiver on that team. He had an unbelievable season last year, racking up 41 total receptions, 550 yards, and three touchdowns. I mean, Heisman sleeper in this guy. Um, those are all highs among the entire team. When you talk about this group of pass catchers and you move to the number one, the number two receiver spot at, with uh, Xavier Henderson, man's got three touchdowns in two seasons at Florida. Incredibly impressive. And if you thought that was impressive, let's talk about the tight end room. This Florida tight end group is stacked. If you look top to bottom on the roster at all of Florida's tight ends, um, not one of them has caught a single college pass. I think, I think they could use some help from Georgia right there. Not one. To avoid any more time spent on this dumpster fire of a program, the defense is just as horrendous as the offense, maybe even worse. The defense is ranked 99th in the country in returning players and returning production. Hmm. Um, this, team, this team's absurd, dude. You look at them offensively and defensively. I had a little satire in there. I had to. Um, I've got their key games to avoid going through the full schedule like Jake just did. Week four at Tennessee, I've got them taking the L. Week six at Mizzou or versus Mizzou at home. I've got them taking the W there. I do have them winning week 11 against South Carolina at home. Um, I, I think Florida's a team that's going to mess around and win a couple of SEC East games, just the kind of team they are. Um, and then week 13 at FSU, just as Jake mentioned, I also have them losing that game. We did a breakdown on FSU. I think this team's better than they were last year and better than a lot of people give them credit for. So I am 100% in total agreement with Jake here. I've got them also at five and seven. And, um, as far as a future betting perspective goes, I'll be hammering the under for Florida without I, a doubt. I agree 100%. And talking about the defense, I want to mention that uh, Brenton Cox may be the smartest human on the planet. Because if he would have stayed one more year at Georgia, he would have been forced to transfer over to Auburn Technical College to play college football. Because Nick uh, Kirby Smart would have noticed. I mean, he already did notice, but he would have noticed even more. Yeah, this guy is not very good at football. And we are going to sit him on the bench. I saw the little clip you had sent me of him chasing Stetson Bennett and giving up as soon as Stetson Bennett made one move to the right and not even chasing him. Uh, yeah, so that's that's a guy that uh, represents Florida very well. He represents Florida football. And uh, talking about Billy Napier, I like Billy Napier, but I've liked a lot of smaller college coaches that have came to the SEC to coach football. And it just so happens that it seems like a lot of those smaller coaches that come to the SEC in football Three years later, you forget where they even are and forget who they are. So I'm a little bit nervous for old Billy that he might run into that same situation. And my prediction is that uh, I, I remember I talked about this during the hire. And I, I like Billy Napier. I, I think he's an awesome guy. He's, he's a great football coach. I'm nervous that Florida's not going to give him the chance that he needs because it's going to take a couple years. And I hope that, uh, you know, that athletic director and all that stuff understand that Billy Napier is not going to come in year one, year two, not even year three, probably, and just change this program around that already can't recruit. Like, I don't know if Billy Napier is going to be the guy that just comes in and changes all everything. So there's a lot of things going on in Florida, and I, I don't I honestly don't see it getting any any brighter anytime soon. You just can't expect them to. And you look at a guy like Lincoln Riley when he goes to, to USC and the kind of players that he brings from Oklahoma to USC with him. Um, and a lot of things Florida fans will tell you is that Billy Napier is going to bring some boys with him. Um, okay, he can bring his, whoever he wants to, man. But when he's bringing those Louisiana boys to the SEC, it's a different play. It's a different style of ball out here. And we say it, and it's cliche, but it is different down here. It is. 
And on a bottom tier team like this Florida Gators team is, um, it, it's going to be an ugly one. And I do like Billy Napier, or I did until he took the job. So, um, you know, best of luck to him. Not really. Actually, never mind. So <laughs> I'm, I'm done with Florida. I am also done with Florida. Uh, you have the, you have the list in uh, ABC order. I'm assuming that this leads us to, I'm not good with my ABCs, but this is Georgia, correct? Yep, it leads us to Georgia. Now, I do want to skip Georgia. I want to save it to the end like we did with Alabama. Um, or I don't know if we we let Alabama we let off with Alabama. But. That's right. Well, no, I want to save Georgia for the end because we are fans. Um, so let's skip them and go straight into Kentucky. Um, I'll kick it off with Kentucky because you kicked it off with Florida. I do have a little breakdown on this team as well. The over-under for them and wins is set at 7.5, which is a pretty interesting number to me considering the season they come off of a 10-win year like they had last season. Um, so seven and a half, I, I feel like is a little bit low. I, I would have expected to see it more eight and a half, nine, if I'm being honest. So that was surprising to me. Um, quick breakdown on them. There are several big holes to fill from last season, but the 2022 roster was boosted by a lot or is boosted by a lot of NFL draft prospects that are coming back to the school. And they also have a lot of important defenders that are taking that extra year of eligibility eligibility that they got from the COVID year. So I'm looking at that as well. Obviously you got a guy like Will Levis. He's steering the ship. He's an absolute dog. Top three quarterback in the SEC the way you look at it. Um they lose their offensive coordinator um and their record breaking star receiver in Wandale Robinson to the draft. Now they bring in a guy like Tavion Robinson from Virginia Tech and he's not Wandale by any means, but you pair him with returning starters and a now healthy tight end room which they did not have last year. Um, and, you know, they bring in a couple four-star wide receiver recruits as well that could get some PT. I think you're looking at a quality receiving core for Levis to throw to. Um, obviously, the running game is there. You've got Chris Rodriguez. He's a hometown boy. Um, he. This is a, a pretty interesting point here. He's only 11 and some change, 100 yards away, rushing yards away from breaking Benny Snell's career rushing record for that school. Um, so I, I'm looking, I'm, you know, hopefully we're going to see him do that. I'd love to see that from a hometown guy. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. Now, I'm looking at the offensive line to be the weak point for this team. They lost multiple starters to the draft, um, so I I'm curious to see. Now, Will Levis, obviously, when you have an elite quarterback, they can kind of get by with some weak offensive line play. Um, so this is a team where maybe you see that, that, that win-loss over-under for them be affected by that offensive line a little bit. Um, so I I'm not alarmed by it by any means, but I do think that's probably the weakest point offensively. Now, the defense for this team is very, very good. Um, they're a great defense. They're probably a top 10 defensive line across all classifications in college. You pair it with an extremely experienced linebacking core, they're bringing back some uh, some six-year guys, like I just mentioned, with the COVID year, um, and a very elite safety tandem. I think this unit's pretty scary. If they can stop the pass, which they were not very good at last year, they're going to be a complete team. So watch out for that. Um, now, schedule breakdown for them. They kick off week one at home against Miami, Ohio. Then they travel to the Swamp to take on the Gators. Uh, week three, the Youngstown State Penguins. Oh, yeah. Um, then you see a matchup against NIU the following week. They travel to Ole Miss to take on the Rebels in Oxford. They see South Carolina at home, uh, Mississippi State at home as well, headed into the bye. They come out of the bye at Tennessee and Neyland. Um, then, they, then they travel to Columbia to take on the Tigers in Missouri. Then they have Vandy at home, followed by Georgia at home, followed by Louisville at home as well in the rivalry week. Um, key games for me, I've got week five at Ole Miss. Um, now this is a little bit of a home field advantage for the Rebels here, and I think it's going to be a heavy passing game. Week five, you're going to see Jackson Dart come into his own. I think Jake and I are both pretty high on him. I think he's a good quarterback. Um, so I'm looking at that team 
I think they stack up pretty well against a weak passing defense in Kentucky. Now, Kentucky can get after the quarterback and stop the run, but I'm just not too sure on how uh, run-heavy this Ole Miss offense is going to be. So I have Kentucky taking the L there. I also have them taking the L in Week 7 against Mississippi State. This comes down to um, to to the offense again in a pass-heavy team like Mississippi State and how they like to throw the ball in that air raid. If uh, by the seventh game of this year, if Kentucky can't figure out that passing defense, I think they could get into a little trouble here. Um, so I, I've got that as a loss as well. Now, an interesting thing about this one is that's their that's Kentucky's homecoming game at home. So uh, I'm in, that's a pretty interesting dynamic. It's kind of an interesting game to schedule your homecoming game against, especially when you consider, you know, the multiple home games that they have later into the season. I know it's a little late for a homecoming game, but I would have looked more to a November 12th matchup against Vandy. Um, so that's, you know, however you want to take that. Um, and then I've also got as the final key game for this team at the end of the season, week nine at Tennessee. I do have them taking the win there. Um, I think that'll give them a little bit of time. They're coming off the bye. I think they're going to come off a loss to Mississippi State where they get depleted in the passing game, head into Tennessee a little bit more prepared. I think they'll take the win there. Um, so my... Total win for the Kentucky team. I have their my projected record for them at nine and three. So I will be absolutely taking the over for them at seven and a half. Like I like I mentioned in the beginning, I think that's pretty low. No, I I agree. It's definitely low. And uh, nine and three is what they finished with last year in the regular season. So you know I I don't see them de- declining much off last year. Um, I'll I'll do my Kentucky. Uh, like we said, seven and a half is their over under and wins. Um. Obviously, the first four weeks, I, I think they're going to win all four of those games. Uh, they have played play Florida week two at Florida, but as mentioned earlier, I have Kentucky beating Florida. Um, week five. Week five is definitely going to be a tough matchup uh, against Ole Miss in Ole Miss. Uh, I do have Kentucky winning that football game. Um, I always talk so highly on their head coach, Mark Stoops, and how I think that he may be the best head coach to handle what he has around him. and. Every single year we look at Kentucky and the season finishes up and we're playing in the SEC championship. And you look back, you're like, holy cow, Kentucky's ranked 16th in the nation and they won eight or nine games this year. Or, you know, nobody pays attention. They won nine or ten games. I remember a couple of years back, I think we played Kentucky. I think we were both eight and no at the time. And at that point, whoever was going to win that game was going to be leading the SEC East. So. You know, Kentucky's definitely a team that can sneak up on you. Um, week six versus South Carolina, it's also a really, really big game, but I have the home field advantage. Uh, I'm going with Kentucky, and then they play Mississippi State, and I was surprised by this, Kenny. I must say, you have Mississippi State winning a game that I have Mississippi State losing. Never thought I would see this day. I have Kentucky beating Mississippi State in week seven. Uh, week eight, they had the bye. I think it could go either way there. I really do. And the only reason that I gave Mississippi State the win there is because of the concern in the pass defense for Kentucky. So not a bad take. I could see that one going either way, but I ultimately came down to a to a win for the Bulldogs. Oh yeah. I I I, I always love a win for the Bulldogs. Maybe maybe if, not maybe not the Mississippi State Bulldogs, but anytime you say Bulldogs win, I'm gonna cheer. So uh week nine. Week nine at Tennessee, I have them losing that football game. Uh I'm very high on Tennessee. We talk about and that's kind of the aspect that you went with right there. Uh we talk about Tennessee's high, you know they talk about Tennessee's fast-paced offense and how fast they like to move. They're a team that can get up on you quick, and uh, I I just like what Tennessee's going to run out this year. 
Week 10 at Missouri. Uh, I have them beating Missouri in Missouri. Uh, week 11 versus Vanderbilt. That's a win. That is a win for Kentucky all day long. Week 12 versus Georgia at home. They are losing that football game. Week 13 versus Louisville. They're going to win that game. Um, so that puts me at a final record of, drumroll, 10-2. and two. I <laughs> So, uh, but I want to mention that there is... Multiple games on this schedule that I could see going either way. And not so much, like, I'm not going to say that they're going to lose, like, all these games, but that, you are right, that four, that, that three-week match, that three-week span from week five to week seven, it, between old, going to Ole Miss and playing South Carolina and Mississippi State at home, that's going to be a pretty tough stretch. And then, you know, Tennessee after the bye, obviously that's going to be a pretty good one. I mean, they're going to be rested up and ready to roll, but... uh. I could definitely see them losing at least one of those games versus Ole Miss, South Carolina, Mississippi State. 100%. And to give my little output on the uh, line, I think you said it perfectly. Uh, I, I don't see a world in where Kentucky loses uh, or wins less than eight games. I think Kentucky is pretty comfortably at least an eight and four football team with that schedule. I'm with you all day on that. All right. All so right, well, is that, is that and- enough Kentucky talk? That's good for me. Um, if we head into the next team on my list, I've got Missouri here. All right, so we got Missouri. Uh, I'll kick us off. Uh, Over-under for wins is five and a half. Uh, they lead off the season versus uh, Louisiana Tech. I have them winning that football game. Um, then they go to Kansas State. I actually have Missouri losing that game against Kansas State. Uh, we play Abilene Christian at home. That's a win. At Auburn in week four. That's a loss. They play Georgia at home week five. I have them losing that game. Then they play Florida at Florida, I have them losing that game. Um, they have a bye week in week seven. Then they play Vanderbilt at home. That's a win. Um, week nine, they go to they go to South Carolina. They're losing that game. Week ten, they play Kentucky at home. They're gonna lose. Week eleven, they go to Tennessee. They're going to lose. And then week twelve, they they get a little bit of uh, a, a fresh air of breath and they play New Mexico State at home. I'm confident in you, Missouri. You can win that game. I have you winning that game. Uh, week 13, they play Arkansas at home, and they're going to end the season on a loss. That is a final record of 4-8, and eight, so I am going to cash in the under. Okay, so that's pretty interesting. Uh, we're a little different here, Jake. Alright, alright. I'm assuming, uh, it was, was, it, was it my Kansas State? Was it my Kansas State? I know it was. There were, there were a couple games here. A couple that surprised me were Kansas State and Auburn. I was yeah. a little bit surprised by both of those. Um, now, the Kansas State one, I'm in complete disagreement with you. I think Missouri might dismantle Kansas State. Um, now, I don't think it's going to be a blowout by any means. Now, Auburn, I could definitely see that. You're traveling to Jordan Hare, so that's an interesting one. Um, now, I've got a little, a couple notes on this Missouri team um, that I wanted to hit on. Nothing crazy, but in two years under their head coach, Elijah. Jerinkwitz, I want to say is how you pronounce his last name. Um, they've won nine straight games against teams that finished with a losing record and lost 11 of 12 against power conference teams that finished with an even or winning record. So when I think the word Missouri, I think average. And I think that's the most prime example of an average football team. You win nine straight against losing teams, and lose 11 of 12 against even or winning teams, that is the most average football team you could possibly get. So that's just a kind of interesting stat that I saw. Um, 
very average team. They bring in a good recruiting class, but it just doesn't move me at this point. Now, could they be a team that, that gets up in the win column a little bit more in years to come? Sure. But at this point, I'm not moved by the Missouri team. Um, Jake broke down the schedule, so I won't do the same thing. But key games for me, I had week four at Auburn. I do have them taking the win there. Um, I don't think Auburn's a good football team. We mentioned that in the last episode. Uh, week six at Florida, I also had them losing that game. I think a team like Missouri traveling to the Swamp, I think they're probably going to get outplayed and probably out-atmosphered by the Florida team. And obviously we're not high on Florida either, but I, I do have them taking the, list, the loss there. And then they travel to South Carolina in week nine. I also have them taking the loss there as well. So um, pretty similar on a couple – a couple points, but different on a couple others as well. So interestingly, interestingly enough, um, a team like Missouri, um, I mean, you look at their over/under and you know with the win projection for them at five and a half. I think that's an interesting number. Um, it's kind of a it's kind of a stinky line for me because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't even think about touching this five and a half win total. Uh, I I don't know. Uh. I, I probably wouldn't bet on it. I, I probably don't have much confidence in Missouri going either way. Um, and we had mentioned earlier, Missouri was a was on my rankings. I had them above Florida, and obviously record wise, now I have I have Florida above Missouri. I look back, and I, I wanted to go back to Kansas State a little bit, and uh, Kansas State, and I I didn't I didn't go back to returners or anything like that. I didn't I didn't do that much research. I just looked at their success they had last year, and Kansas State was eight and five last year. Uh. And we look at their losses. Kansas State, their losses was Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Iowa State, Baylor, and Texas. And then they went to their bowl game, the Texas Bowl, and beat LSU 42-20. to So I, I don't know if I would write out. And we're talking about uh, they lost to all those teams minus Iowa State. So they lost to Texas, Baylor, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State by a combined 32 points. I feel like that if you put Missouri against Oklahoma, they might lose by 32 alone. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to go like too far into it because I didn't do too much research on who Kansas State's returning, all that fun stuff. I was just looking at their as the, at their success last year, and you know, I, I, I just had a gut feeling, man. I had a gut feeling with Kansas State, so I had well, to roll with them with the game too because they are traveling to Kansas. So that that is also what, something I had in consideration. It's a different dynamic. Now it's not a primetime game by any means i think it's a 12 o'clock game actually um but that no that's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic when you think about the road trip they've got to make um so no i don't fault you for taking that at all um i do think missouri is going to come away with the win there um so i didn't hit on it i wanted to touch on the line first five and a half i think is super stinky now surprisingly enough i do have missouri at six and six i'm at an even team i think they'll have an even record um, I think the schedule's pretty favorable, all things considered, when you talk about Louisiana Tech, Kansas State, Abilene Christian, regardless of the Kansas State situation. They have a pretty, you know, they, they've got some cupcake games in there, um, followed by New Mexico State at the end of the year. So I have them at 6-6. Six and six. It's kind of a surprising 6-6 six and six for me. I wouldn't have had them that high, just off the dome. So doing a little bit of research, I do have them at 6 wins. Am I confident in it? No, no, no I'm not. Not at all. So five and a half, um, that's a stinky line. I wouldn't even think about taking it. So um, that that wraps it up for Missouri for me. Yeah, and I, I wanted to mention the Auburn thing too. Uh, I always talk about, I feel like I mention this every time we talk about college football. If if it's a, if it's a close matchup to me and I, and I can't pick in my head who I think is going to win, I always go with the home team. So that 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 was my that was my thinking with Auburn. I don't see neither of these teams. I feel like they're pretty close to the same 
same caliber. I would put Missouri, Auburn, and Florida pretty close to the same tier. Um, if I was to do a tier list, and that's second to bottom above uh Vanderbilt. <laughs> so that's fair. So I, I just whenever you play Auburn, you know, in Auburn, it, it could always be a tough game. Oh, that's that's hundred percent fair. And um, that's all I got to say on Missouri. All right. Well, next on the list, if we're going in order, I've got South Carolina right here. Um, so you kicked off Missouri. I'll kick off South Carolina. The over-under and, and regular season wins is set at six and a half, which I also think is a pretty interesting number. Um, not because of what I think, but because I was going off of what the, the public thinks. I think six and a half is actually a pretty accurate line here. I think South Carolina is a decent football team. I like their coaching. Um, so I was surprised to see six and a half. I thought it would be higher. I thought we might get a seven and a half right here if I was if I were to uh, give you my prediction of what I was going to see on the sports book because a lot of people are very high on this team and a lot of people are high on Spencer Rattler, not me included. Um, so with that being said, let's dive into South Carolina. Um, Shane Beamer, I'm a fan. He knew that he was only going to be judged by how many games he would win. You know, coaching is all about wins. It's not yes. really about anything else especially when you come to the SEC. So even in his first season, he knew this. But, I mean, he also knew winning is going to be tough, you know, especially when you head into a, a, a an organization or a school, I should say, like South Carolina. I mean, he's kind of given the remnants of a program that it, they had only won six games over two seasons total. So Shane really had to rebuild the entire culture of this program from the, from the bottom up because uh, they were kind of a dumpster fire. Um, now, truthfully, I, I think he did it. If I, if I'm giving my personal opinion, Beamer Beamer's a guy, and winning three of the last five games they finished the regular season with last year, um, that that's kind of a hot run, and you bring a little confidence to the fan base and a little optimism to the fan base. Now they finished the regular season last year at six and six. They did beat North Carolina pretty heavily. Uh, I think it was I want to say 38-20, 38-21, something like that. They played in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. I remember that. Because I actually bet on North Carolina in that game, and I was very surprised. Um, now, Beamer, he didn't really do much this offseason but add to an already improving team. So he brings in some guys. So that this is kind of where I was surprised to see the six-and-a-half line. I thought it would move higher because they got some pretty heavy acquisitions. I mean, you talk about the recruits they got to the transfers to a former Heisman Trophy favorite in Spencer Rattler. They've got a really good pass defense. Um, surprisingly, a lot of people didn't know this, but South Carolina actually had the number one passing defense in the SEC last year from a takeaway standpoint, hmm. which is I, – I would not have known that if I didn't dive into the numbers. But they've got a really bad rushing defense and a really heavily retooled offense. Um, I think they've got the ability to compete in the SEC East for like third maybe. I don't know. This team, they kind of – I'm kind of perplexed by what this team – can do and my projections of the team because we really don't know you talk about bringing in a guy like spencer rattler he could give you one of two types of seasons he can give you a absolute horrible season like you had last year where he doesn't really know what to do and you know i don't want to dive into it too much because we've already talked about it in past episodes but spencer rattler you know played in the most quarterback friendly system in college football history in my opinion and did not thrive there so I don't see much of a reason for me to be high on him when he comes to the SEC and plays for this Gamecock team, other than the fact that Shane Beamer is a good coach. So if anybody can reel it in, reel him in, it'll be Beamer. I'm just not sure he will. Um, key games for me, and Jake, I'll let you do the full schedule breakdown. But okay. uh, for, for my key games, I've got week two at Arkansas, week six at Kentucky, week nine against Missouri at home, week 11 at Florida in the Swamp, and week 12 at Tennessee and Neyland. 
Um, I've got them losing the week two matchup at Arkansas. I've got them losing the week six matchup at Kentucky. And then I've got them sweeping in my other key games. I've got them beating Missouri at home, beating Florida on the road, and beating Tennessee on the road. Um, Tennessee is the only one that I was back and forth on. And the only reason that I gave them the win at Tennessee is because I think Tennessee, they do it year in, year out. They let down at the end of the season. Um, I'm pretty high on the Tennessee team as well. Now, I'm a Georgia fan, so I do not like that gaudy orange. I do not like Tennessee. I just don't. No, thank you. They've got some studs. Um, So the only reason I have them taking the W there in Week 12 is because of this passing defense. They're bringing back almost everybody. And I just hit on it that from a takeaway perspective, they're the top of the SEC. So if they can even scratch the surface of what they did last year and kind of, you know, bring that passing defense back to, you know, a minimal amount of what it was, I think they'll have a good shot at winning that game. So I do have them taking the win there. Um, So six and a half line, I've got them finishing the year at seven and five. So I do have them over. This is a line that I probably would not touch. I feel a little bit better about this line than I do Missouri um, because I do think it's probably – like I said, I I think it's probably right at six and a half. I do. But I think if South Carolina is going to do anything at that six and a half line, it's go over. So I'm not going to put any money on it, me personally, but I have them at seven wins. I respect that. I respect that for sure. Uh, So like we said, six and a half over under. Uh, The schedule, they play Georgia State at – at South Carolina, that's going to be an uh, absolute blowout. I'm sorry, Georgia State. We're a Georgia podcast. We love you guys. Uh, probably much more than uh, your 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 rivals down in the south, or much less than your rivals down in the south, I should say. Uh, Southern, Southern all day. Uh, Southern alumni half a semester, or one full semester, actually. Let's go. College dropout. Um, <laughs> week two at Arkansas. I have uh, South Carolina taking an L. Uh, I, I, that's one of those games that it's going to be a close game. It's going to be a really good matchup. but I feel like it could be one of those games that we see stay close in the first half, and then Arkansas reels in and wins the game by 17 points. So I, I don't know if it's going to be a final box score game that's going to look pretty for South Carolina. It's going to be something you take, you know, take away from. And then after that tough matchup, I'm so sorry. Y'all have to come to come over to Athens and play the play the dogs at home week three. Uh, that's going to be a very ugly game again. I, I don't think the South Carolina is quite there yet. And the same aspect of Florida, besides I feel like they're a lot closer than Florida is. Uh, I feel like South Carolina is also is trying to build a dynasty down there. And, uh, you know, they're they're definitely close. South Carolina is, I think, maybe a couple years away from really, really competing, but until Georgia, you know, has a significant drop off, I don't see, I don't see them being anywhere close. Uh, week four versus Charlotte, uh, there, that's a dub. Week five versus South Carolina State, that's a dub. Week six at Kentucky, I have South Carolina losing that game. Um, Kentucky's tough. You have to go over to Kentucky. It's, it's not going to be a very fun environment to play in. And I, I don't. Again, going back to South Carolina being where they're at now, I, I don't see South Carolina being there yet to beat Kentucky. Uh. Week seven, we have a bye week. Uh, so you get a little lucky there. Nice little close matchup with the bye. Don't get beat by the bye now. Uh, week eight versus Texas A&M. This is going to be a very, very interesting one to talk about. We had talked about the West, and now we're going to talk about the East. When I was discussing Kentucky, when I was discussing, I'm sorry, when I was discussing Texas A&M and I was looking at their schedule, I had to find a spot to put another loss on that schedule. And that spot that I came up with that seemed the most likely to me was this week eight matchup coming off the bye for South Carolina. So I have South Carolina going over to Texas A&M and surprising everybody and beating Texas A&M on the road. That is, that is my, my idea. 
the 12th man is not going to be relevant. South Carolina is going to go over there and win that football game. That is that is my take. And honestly, if I was doing SEC East first, I would put an L there. So I, I'm an honest man. I'm going to keep it 100% real and uh, tell you that. But since since you did the West keep first. consistent. Yeah, I got I to keep it consistent. So since the West was first, I put an L there. Um, I'm going to put a double on South Carolina's side, Texas in Week 8. Uh, week 9, they play Missouri. This is going to be another big game. Uh, I do have them beating Missouri. Um, week 10 at Vanderbilt, that's, that's a dub. Week 11 at Florida, it might be a tough game. Going down to the Swamp's going to be tough. And we talk about South Carolina where they're at now, but that's, I, I think they're still going to pull it out. Week 12 versus Tennessee at home. I have South Carolina winning that football game. I, I, I wanted to throw some wins on South Carolina's board because I feel like South Carolina is going to put up going to put up a decent season. I'm not super high on them, but I am actually looking at the final record right now. I might be I might be super high on them. <laughs> um, and then week 13 at Clemson. That's a L. They're not going to win that game. Uh, so that, that sets me at a final record of eight and four for South Carolina. So we, we weren't too far off on that. Obviously, that puts me at the over. Um, but I, it's, it's not a super confident over because I had them at eight and four and that's with a win versus Tennessee and a win at, uh, versus Texas A&M. I am looking at it so wrong. Uh, they actually played Texas A&M at home. I had said, whenever I mentioned it earlier, I mentioned them going on the road. I was looking at it wrong. They actually played them at home, I believe. So that might've been my, maybe my thinking of it the other day when I was doing this whole thing. So I, I wanted to get down out of the way. My apologies on that. It's a slip up. Let me ask you this, Jake. If you were to not have looked at a sports book prior to this episode, where would you have expected to see their over-under and wins? South Carolina? Yeah. Um, huh, that's a very interesting question. I feel like it's at a very fair point where it is now, but I honestly wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been surprised to see them at uh, a 7 or a 7.5 with how highly teams of how highly they've been talked about this offseason it really surprised me dude i really thought i was going to see a seven and a half here i and i thought i was really confident in it and at seven and a half i would have been inclined to to look at an under just because of you know the uncertainties as far as the team goes i mean mm-hmm. i personally i think six and a half is right i think six and a half is a really good line for this team um but i just didn't think the sports book were going to follow suit so I, you know props to vegas i guess I didn't either. I feel like I feel like it's one of those bait opportunities. Vegas must know something that we don't know, so they're going to drop South Carolina at crispy six and a half to get people to take the under or to get people to take the over, and they're going to win five games this year. So Vegas knows it all. If a line ever looks too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah, amen. Well, that wraps it up for South Carolina for me. I don't know about you. I'm good on South Carolina. All right, well, let's head into the next one. Uh, let's dive into Tennessee. Um, we have... I think relatively similar outlooks on the volunteers. So uh, I, you may be a little bit higher on them than I am. So um, I, I want you to kick this one off. I'm curious to see what you think and then compare it to me because after doing a little bit of research and reviewing, I surprised myself a little bit with my win total. So I want to hear what you got to say. So Tennessee, Tennessee was a team that I had talked about on the SEC East breakdown before we did some like schedule look at and you know actual research on all this stuff. It was just going off the dome. And I actually had Tennessee at two in the SEC East. Now, obviously, that have Kentucky ten and two on the season. I don't that that's probably not going to hold true. Just giving you a little pre context to what's about to happen. 
Um, so they're over under set at seven and a half. I, I feel like that's a, a very fair number for Tennessee. I, you know, it, it's kind of one of those numbers where you're kind of sitting in the middle right there. And I, I, I like the over, honestly, I feel like they could have hit eight and a half and you probably would have made it a little bit, you know, people think a little bit more, but you know, Vegas wants you to spend their, spend your money on stuff. They want you to try to find those crispy bets. Uh, so week one, they start the season off against ball state at home. I have uh Tennessee winning that game. Then they go on the road against Pittsburgh, and I actually have Tennessee losing that game in Pittsburgh. Um, we talk about Pittsburgh. I know they lost Kenny Pickett, and but they all they're bringing in Keaton Slovis. So I, I'm not saying Keaton Slovis is gonna be Kenny Pickett, and Slovis hasn't really shown us much the past two years, other than his freshman season when he first came to USC. But I'm still a high guy on Slovis. I liked what I saw from prior to the injury, and I think that he can go over to Pittsburgh and be very successful. Um, week three versus Akron, I had them winning. And then week four versus Florida, I had them winning. Then they head into a bye week five. Week six at LSU, I had them beating LSU on the road. Um, week seven versus Alabama, I had them losing that game. Then we go to week eight versus UT Martin. I had them winning that game. Week nine versus Kentucky, I had them winning that game. I think I, think I mentioned that earlier in the Kentucky breakdown, so I'm not going to go too much in depth in it. Um, week 10 at Georgia, I had them losing that game. Week 11 versus Missouri, I had them winning. Uh, week 12 at South Carolina, I had them losing. Week 13 at Vanderbilt, I have them winning for a final record of 8-4, and four, which would put me right at the over for Tennessee. Okay, so we're not too far off. It's actually interesting because I had put Tennessee a second, like I mentioned earlier, and right now with how my breakdowns are going, they would finish behind both Kentucky and and South Carolina because I have South Carolina also at eight and four, but beating them, so winning the tiebreaker. Okay, we have a couple differences. One key one um, I want to hit on. So if you're good, I'll go ahead and dive into mine. Yeah, go ahead. So a little background on Tennessee: Is their coach's last name Heupel? Josh Heupel. Heupel is how you pronounce that. All right, um, Josh Heupel. He is one of only four Tennessee coaches since 1941 to win at least seven regular season games in his first season. Uh, so, credits to him, man. Mm-hmm. Um, ask a Tennessee fan, they'll tell you they're going to win 10 games this year, especially with the return of Hendon Hooker and uh, Cedric Tillman at receiver. Um, but that's just not the case for me. Um, the offense is good, very good, great even. I mean, Hooker, he's a stud. Tillman, he's also a stud. Both guys, I expect to get Heisman looks at you know throughout the duration of this season. Um, I actually put a note here in my notes that to interject and say, take the over for this team. All right, this team scores a lot of points, and they're probably going to give up a good bit of points as well. Um, they returned four offensive line starters and a very underrated run game with Jabari Small in the backfield. This offensive line is probably upwards of top three in the SEC, if I were to give my honest opinion. Um, so if they can get a little production from the run game with Jabari Small, I also think they brought in a transfer and a top recruit in the backfield as well. So watch out for that. They might have a little three-headed monster. Um, the reason I'm not high on Tennessee, they're Tennessee. Yeah. They're the New York they, Mets of the uh, SEC East. They're the New York Mets. They're it, – it's – man, Tennessee, they just – they do the same thing every year where they get hype. They think they're this is the year. This is the year. Every year is the year. Well, it's just not, man. It's not the year. It's not going to be the year. Hendon Hooker, I love Hendon Hooker. I think he's a great player. I really like Cedric Tillman as well. Um, but they're bringing back the worst passing defense in the SEC. Um, they're also the worst defense in the SEC in third down efficiency. So, mm. again, take the over here, guys. 
If you're going to bet on a team throughout the season and you want to get some interesting bets out there, take the over. Tennessee is a sure lock for the over. They score, they're going to score a lot of points. They're going to sling the ball around, and they're going to give up a lot of points as well. They can't defend for Jack. Um, key games for me, I've got week two at Pitt as a key game um, in Acrisure Stadium. Yeah. Used to be Heinz Field. Um, I've got them winning this game. I do. Okay. I have them winning week two against Pitt. Um, week nine against Kentucky at home. I have them losing this one. I think Will Levis is just going to be a little bit too much, and I think that Kentucky defense is very, very good, so they may have the answer for them. Um, in the Week 12 at South Carolina, I mentioned when we did the South Carolina breakdown, I've got Tennessee losing that game as well. Okay, so when you do my full schedule there. breakdown, yeah, we're pretty similar there. Uh, if you do my full schedule breakdown, I go top to bottom of, of what I've got, wins and losses. I've got them at seven. Um, so I, I do have them at the under here. Again, it's not a super confident pick for me because Tennessee is a, a type of team that can sneak up on you. I say it every episode, I feel like. Um, so seven and a half is probably the right number here. Again, shout out to Vegas. These guys, they, they do what they do, and they're still in business for a reason. Um, so I have them at seven. Um, I'm fairly confident at the seven. I will not be laying any money on it, but um, yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah, this this is this is one I'm I'm going to avoid too. I wanted to mention you had mentioned that they have four uh returning offensive linemen. Uh they so they have they have as many returning offensive linemen as Cade Mays' father has fingers. So or on that on that one hand they got chopped off by a chair in at uh, the University of Georgia, you know. So that that's that's yeah. definitely a good sign. It wasn't on purpose. No, definitely not on purpose. It's just, you know, he just left our school after that and now what what is Cade Mays up to? Is he still there? I don't think so. Yeah, he he disappeared off the planet. I think after after his father lost his fingers and transferred over to Tennessee. A quick Google shirt search tells me that he is a six, He was a sixth round draft pick by the Carolina Panthers. Okay, okay. So Carolina got them a guy with a father yeah. with only nine fingers. So you know, there you go. Very nice. Uh. So I, I am good on Tennessee. I know we had a couple ones that were different, but you're right below that seven and a half. I'm right above that seven and a half. So I'm I'm in the same boat as you were. There's there's no money to be betted on this on the season line because honestly I could see it going either way. So I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna put money on I have dubs in games that I am not too sure on, and I have L's in games I am not too sure on. So there there's a lot of stuff going on in this Tennessee schedule that I am a little bit excited to see like that week two matchup at Pittsburgh. That is going to be a ton of fun to watch. Yeah, that's going to be a banger for sure. That wraps it up for me too. Um, So without further ado, let's head into the most exciting team in the SEC East, the Vanderbilt Commodores. Oh, I thought I thought you were throwing a layup. I thought we were, I thought we were at Georgia because I completely forgot Vanderbilt was a team. So uh, I guess, I As guess you should, I guess we'll get into Vanderbilt. I, did I lead off the last one or did you lead off the last one? I believe you did, so I'll kick it off. It's going to take all of five seconds for me. Um, this team is putrid. This this team, this school, this program is absolutely horrendous. Um, they're an embarrassment to the SEC. Like yeah. we said, if we're going to give Vandy a positive note, a, a, a good outlook, Nashville's a great city. Yeah. That's it. Um, their over-under and wins is set at two and a half. I hate to be this guy, Jake, but I've got the under. That, I think I, they're gonna win. I think they're gonna win two games. I respect it. I respect it, and you know, I, I'll I'll give my breakdown in just a second. And it, 
it, it should be fun. I don't I don't want to say too much. I think they're going to lose the week one game, week zero for college football at Hawaii. I think they're going to lose that game. We're going to be betting on it in the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm expecting Vandy to lose that game. I will be betting against Vanderbilt in that game. Um, they opened the season with Hawaii in Honolulu, Elon at home, Wake Forest at home, and NIU in Illinois. Um, my only two wins for this team come in week two and week four against Elon and um, at NIU. And even then, at NIU concerns me. So um, they're going to get blown out by Wake Forest. They're going to lose to Hawaii. And then they finish out the season, man, with an absolute gauntlet of schedule. It just does not look good for them. And I feel bad if you're a student there, if you're a player there, if you're a coach there, if you're just a fan in general. But I've got Vanderbilt at two wins, and I feel pretty confident about it. I would be inclined to say I'd be willing to sprinkle a little bit on the under. So what if I was to tell you that Vanderbilt is going to cover the over in the first four weeks? They're going to start the season off 3-1. and one. I actually have, and it's so funny we're talking about a matchup between Vanderbilt and Hawaii as being the breakup of the over-under. I, I, I have been beating Hawaii uh, week zero. Um, so I, I'll give a full schedule breakdown just for the people interested. Uh, we, we mentioned the over-unders two and a half. Uh, Hawaii week zero, that's, I had that as a win on Vanderbilt schedule. What was the spread uh, we can already get? Seven and a half, maybe? Vanderbilt, I want to say something like that. Uh, then we play. Okay. What is it? I'm checking right now. Okay, get back with him. You can interrupt me at any time. Uh, week one they play Elon. Uh, that's good. I had them winning that game. Week two, uh, they play Wake Forest. It is a home game, but they like Kenny had mentioned earlier, they're going to get absolutely dominated by Wake Forest. That is going to be a forty point loss. Uh, week three at NIU, I have them winning that game. Like Kenny mentioned, it is one that I had to think about. But after looking at records and stuff, uh, I, I ended up giving Vanderbilt the the win. And then uh, week four at Alabama. These are all losses. I'm not even going to tell you what they are after. Week four at Alabama. Week five is a bye. Week six is uh, versus Ole Miss. Week seven at Georgia. Week eight at Missouri. Week nine is a bye. Week 10 versus South Carolina. Week 11 at Kentucky. Week 12 versus Florida. And week 13 versus Tennessee. All of those are losses. Vandy's a seven and a half point favorite at Hawaii. Okay, so I was right. Nice. Very interesting point to mention here. ESPN has Hawaii with a 72% chance to win. Okay, so, so a money line sprinkle. I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen in this game. This is the most, <laughs> like, Hawaii against Vandy in week zero at 10.30 p.m. in August. Like, Is this the most electric game of the season? This is going to be the greatest football game of all time. Well, it's like, like, like we mentioned in the last podcast, me and Kenny like good football. We like teams to put up a lot of points, and hopefully that's going to be the one that we see a lot of points. I'm rooting for you, Vandy. Score 40. Hawaii, score 45. I'll be excited, you know. And honestly, you and I are going to bet on this game, and you're taking Vandy, which is the primary reason why I'm taking Hawaii. You know, let's do a let's. It'd be I'd be remiss if I said that it would be, you know, a little more interest or not if I didn't say that it wouldn't be a little bit more interesting to start the season on opposite sides. So let's let it ride. Let's get a little rivalry going. Week zero. Yeah, a little week zero rivalry. Uh, and we mentioned earlier the Mississippi State LSU game is going to be our biggest rivalry whenever that comes around, and it's going to be a fun one. Gonna be a banger. All right. Well, 
It all comes down to this, boys. It all boys comes down to uh, the big ones, and shall I say, uh, the big dogs. Uh, Mr. Kenny? You want Ladies to and gentlemen, let me introduce you to your 2021 college football national champions. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. College football national champs. Yes, sir. That's, that's like background oh, crowd oh, noise. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. We've got barks on the cast. Let's go. The Georgia team. Man, we're all the way back. Yeah, we, we are back. We we are we are here. Uh three and a half weeks away from uh meeting meeting the Quackers and uh Mercedes Benz. So we are we are close. I want to start this off by reading uh, by kind of briefly going over an article, if that's okay with you, Mr. Jacob here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead with it. All right. So um I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh this is an article written by Athlon Sports. It's a, a preview to Georgia's season headed into 2022. It's a kind of a season preview and prediction on what you can see. So I want to go over a couple key points here, and then uh, I'll let Jake kick it off, and we'll kind of, we'll, you know, we'll, maybe we'll walk through this one together. Um, the national championship hurdle has been cleared in Athens, Georgia, and now a new challenge awaits, defending it. Georgia, in its seventh season under Kirby Smart, the recently extended highest-paid coach in college football. Let's go. All right. Um, rightfully so this team is as talented as ever but getting back to the winning the big one will be extremely tough as evidenced by the number of bulldogs who were selected in the 2022 nfl draft the offense returns a significant amount of production and experience but the defense a unit that was historically good in 2021 will aim to reload rather than rebuild i'll take that and more if uga has designs on going back to back uh jake and i have touched on it in the past this defense is much 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 better than people give credit um, they're bringing back a lot of guys, even though we did lose some key players, obviously, uh, you see the draft and how it, and, and how it went down. Um, Georgia had some dogs and we, and we lost some, but we're bringing back a lot of guys and a lot of really quality players. Um, as hard as it is to believe Stetson Ben is back for his sixth season at Georgia and his seventh of college ball after spending 2018 in Juco. Um, he was a subject of a great, of great scrutiny during the 2021 season. As fans, some media types were clamoring for JT Daniels, who began the season as a starter. The switch never happened, and Stetson ultimately led to the natty. Um, Stetson's seen it all. He silenced doubters in the Orange Bowl game, earned the MVP, and then dazzled against Alabama. Uh, we all know the story. We've got the guys in there, Carson Beck, Brock Vandegrift, Gunnar Stockton, super highly touted recruits, and they're sitting under the walk-on, the mailman. Uh, we have faith in the mailman as Georgia fans. We always do. Now, the running back room, um, you know, obviously Georgia's known as RBU. And it's for a reason. You have the ability to plug and play that position for years and years and years. We've been able to do it, and we're going to continue to do it. We lose Zeus and James Cook, but we bring in Kenny Mack and Kendall Milton. These guys are still there. They got significant PT. Um, they had fantastic springs and fantastic seasons last year. Um, you talk about Branson Robinson. This dude is an absolute unit. He looks like Michael Turner and Aaron Donald had a baby. Um, I think he's worth a look this season. He's going to get some PT, in my opinion. Uh, the transfer the transfer portal hit our pass catching group a little bit more than we would have liked to see. Jermaine Burton, obviously, he's a he he's a an elephant now in Alabama. Um, now we've got some pretty talented players in that receiving group. You talk about a guy like Ad Mitchell, the the top ranked tight end room in all of college football, the top ranked position group specifically. Um, now you talk. I, I want to hit back on Ad Mitchell. This dude had one of the most impactful catches in, in, or in, uh, in school history in the natty. 
absolute stud. You talk about a guy like Arik Gilbert. We're bringing back some absolute units as far as the pass-catching games go. Um, the offensive line is a little bit of a retool, but you bring a guy like like Broderick, Do- Broderick Jones, a guy like um, like uh, what's his name? Who's the uh, trash dash Morgan Wallen looking white boy? Um, uh, I want to say Tate. Uh, I am so sorry right now. I I should remember this. He got hurt last year. Yes, what is? I can't remember his last name for the life of me. Yeah, you can keep on going. I'll I'll find it for you. Um. A little bit on the defense. The 2021 defense was special. In my opinion, it's the greatest defense in college football history. Um, I'm expecting the 2022 group to pick it up where they left off. Honestly, I, I, are they going to be as good? No, but you're comparing. Tate Ratledge. Tate Ratledge. There he is. There it is. I don't know why I couldn't think of his, think of his name. Dude's an icon. Um, obviously, if you're expecting them to pick up where they left off and just keep continuing as the greatest defense in college football history, that's unrealistic. But I'm expecting them to pick up where they left off from a production standpoint and say that this is going to be still a top-tier defense. And that's not a reach by any means. And if you're a Georgia fan, you know it is. We're bringing back guys like like Jalen Carter, who's probably the most talented defender from the 2021 squad. It, it, and it's kind of crazy to think when you talk about Jordan Davis and guys like that. Jalen Carter is a guy that's been getting number one, number two overall pick looks, uh, projections with Will Anderson this year. Um, so Even, the even Jordan Davis, we're talking about a defense that had the number one overall pick in the NFL draft with Trayvon Walker. So, you know, exactly. It's, it's, exactly. it is pretty crazy. I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I just wanted to put that out there too. The pass rushing group got a huge boost. I mean, we bring back Nolan Smith. We bring back Robert Beal, who was the sack leader last year. They wreaked havoc all last season, especially during the playoffs. Inside linebacker, that's the weak point. Um, we lose, you know, Quay Walker and obviously N'Kobe, who are absolute legends. But we're bringing in guys like like Dumas Johnson. We're bringing in guys like like Munden. And um, even, even is it Xavier or Xavier Sorry? Um mm-hmm. I mean, these guys are freak athletes, so you, you can kind of plug and play them at the middle linebacker, at the inside linebacker position. They're going to give you some really quality production. Now, the secondary um, is probably the best secondary in college football, in my opinion. You're bringing back guys like Keely Ringo, um, and then you, you talk about other guys like like sophomore uh, Kamari Lasseter. He's had a, a crazy spring. Obviously, Chris Smith is back. Like we're, we're kind of loaded as far as that goes, so the secondary is probably the strong point of the defense along with the pass rush. So... That's just a little bit of a of a breakdown. Now, a final analysis. Let's read off what the article had here. Georgia's talent level gives it a high floor and a high ceiling. Smart's crew will be big, fast, and physical on both sides of the ball, but it's never easy to replace the amount of production the Bulldogs lost after winning the ship. Uh, finding leaders will be the key to navigating yet another workable schedule. Um, I don't really like the wording of a workable schedule when I look at this Georgia schedule, and I think Jake will agree with me. Um, I think it's very, very favorable for this UGA team. Um, I agree. You're coming back after a national championship season. You kick off the year with a week one matchup against Oregon in primetime in Mercedes-Benz. Um, it, it's going to be a talked-about game. It's going to be a heavily bet game. It's it's everything you want it to be from a week one standpoint. This game is not even on my radar to be a close game. I think we're going to blow these guys out. It's not going to be close, in my opinion. Um, so... That's a little breakdown for you, just to give you a little background on the UGA team. I'm sure Jake will have some stuff, too. So, Jake, why don't you go ahead and dive into it? Let's get into some win totals and some predictions for this team. So, before before we got into that, I did want to mention something on the defensive side of the ball. I think you did a great job uh, breaking down the offense and defense. But one guy that I that is on my radar very, very like hard right now for the defense is uh, Mr. Malachi Starks. 
Uh, Malachi Starks was the number one safety in this past year's recruiting class, but he's a guy that you can kind of play in multiple spots. And I've heard a lot of people saying that he might drop down to that nickel spot right away at UGA. And, you know, a guy like that, you move him down closer to the line of scrimmage, he's going to be an absolute ball hawk. I'm pretty sure that's his type of game. He's he's going to be a guy that jumps routes, that, you know, kind of hides hides a little bit, and all of a sudden he pops in out of nowhere and steals the ball and gets a 75-yard uh, INT touchdown return. So. He's a, he's, a, he's a guy I'm really excited to look at. Um, middle linebacker, you mentioned it. Those guys that we have coming in with uh, Munden and Dumas Johnson, those are going to be two studs that are going to fill that role. I did want to mention that uh, Latavius Brini did also leave in the transfer portal this year. And I, I'm, I'm not really big on Mr. Latavius Brini, especially whenever you're talking about a uh, safety core that is already absolutely loaded in top three in college football, arguably the best in college football with Chris Smith. Uh, Ike Smith and Dan Jackson also bringing in Malachi Starks now. So I, I think Brini kind of made the smart decision for him, but he's, he's a guy that had PT last year. So it's somebody that you look at. Um, but that, that, that I, I agree with everything you said about Georgia's defense. They're going to be a lot better than what people are giving them. Um, so let's jump to the schedule over under at 10 and a half. So week one, week one, we have a neutral site game in Atlanta, Mercedes Benz Stadium. Uh, very neutral, obviously. Yeah, yeah, very, very neutral. I'm sure Oregon is, you know, it's, it's going to be half and half. It's going to be a lot of green, uh, a lot of uh, red. Sure. It's going to be split right down the middle. Um, no, nah, really, I, 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 Georgia's going to cover 95% of that stadium, if not 100. So, <laughs> uh, Oregon, y'all are going to have a bad time. I'm sure Bo Nix, every single night when he goes to sleep now, he's going to have nightmares for the next three weeks because this is an absolutely terrifying thing. And I think anybody on the Oregon and on Oregon's football team, out of everybody, I think Bo Nix is the one that understands it. I know they have our DC from last year, uh, Mr. Dan Lanning, I want to say. Wasn't isn't Dan Lanning the head coach now at Oregon? Yep, that was their hire. Dan Lanning understands it, but he's never been on the opposite side of it. He he always got to sit under Mr. Kirby Smart's wing and is Mr. Kirby, can I do this? Yeah, do that, do that, do that. So, you know, <laughs> Mr. Dan Lanning, you're you're gonna you're gonna get to see the opposite side of what you've been doing to people forever, and it's not gonna be good for you. Uh so I, have, I obviously have Georgia winning that game. And like Kenny said, I don't really see it being a super close contest. Week two, we uh, play Samford uh, at home. That's a win, obviously. Week three, we go to South Carolina. This is one I'm looking out for because the early season matchups are usually pretty tough. And sometimes you can see some crazy stuff happening in the early, first couple weeks of college football. But I still have Georgia pulling it off. And I, I'm not going to sound like a broken record and keep on saying it. But I don't see any of these games. I'm not going to say that I see any of these games in the schedule really being close. Obviously, there's going to be a couple games that, you know, get a little bit, you know, scary. Florida last year took us to two minutes in the, I want to say two minutes left in the first half last year. And I think it was a tied game until we scored like three touchdowns in two minutes and started blowing them out the water. So any college, any any Saturday, you can see a nail biter, but I'm not going to keep on saying that they're going to be blowouts. Uh, week four, we play Kent State at home. That's a win. Um, that is one I will confidently say it's going to be a blowout. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, that one I'm confident in. Uh, week five, uh, we go to Missouri. That's a win. Week six, we play Auburn at home. I have them winning that game. Week seven, Vanderbilt. I have them winning that game. Week eight homecoming. is the... Oh, yeah, homecoming. Yeah, that's going to be a fat win. Vanderbilt, that's also one. It's not going to be a chance. Week eight, we have a bye right before we go to Florida for Jacksonville, a very, very neutral site stadium. You know, uh, ninety-five percent Georgia, five percent Florida. Every year, if 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 Florida has that many fans, I don't even know if they have enough fans to make up the five percent. Now, I mean, I'm 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 sure a lot of those guys have probably traded in that that orange and blue for you know black and red. It looks a lot better. 
It sure does look a lot better. And if Florida does have any fans, they're probably going to mark that one off the schedule. Don't know if they'll show up for that one. Yeah, it's probably not safe to drive with that many te- that much tears in your eyes on the way home. So they're probably, you know, smart. Actually, I don't know. It's Florida. They might not be. And I just had a mean voice crack while talking about Florida. I am so sorry. <laughs> Week 10 versus Tennessee. I'm just going to skip that one now. Week 10 versus Tennessee. Uh, that's a dub. Week 11 at Mississippi State. That's a dub. Uh, we, we know who the better Bulldogs are. Um, week 12 at Kentucky. That's a dub. And week 13 versus Georgia Tech. That's a dub. So uh, my final record for Georgia is 12-0. And, and I wanted to mention the same thing I mentioned with Alabama the other day. Um, it's very easy to say Georgia's going to go 12-0. It's very easy to say Georgia's going to go 11-1. I'm just not going to be the one that tries to point out a loss on the schedule. And honestly, it's more so for Alabama because Georgia's not going to lose a football game this year. I don't see Georgia losing a football game in the next 10 years, honestly. I don't, th- I don't see – let's see, I'm, I'm 23 years old. I don't see Georgia losing a football game for, you know, hopefully until the day I die. So um, there's that. Um, when you look at Georgia compared to Alabama this year, obviously the teams stack up. Alabama's bringing back a good group, and uh, they're probably going to be – I think the coaches poll came out, and they were, like, very – significantly the number one team voted um and georgia was third i believe behind ohio state which is absolute blasphemy but that's whatever they can keep Um, sleeping that's fine yeah go ahead keep sleeping we appreciate it um so this georgia team man when you look at the schedule and the lineup of the schedule compared to a team like alabama and you just talk about the sec east and obviously the sec east is on the rise they're on the upcoming there's some teams that have got some now we've got some ball, some ball players. You look at a team like Kentucky, even a team like Tennessee, um, even a team like, uh, like, um, like South Carolina that we mentioned heavily in this podcast. Like the SEC East is headed in the right direction, but they're just not quite at the level that the West is. So when you look at a from a scheduling perspective and interconference play, um, talking about UGA playing in the SEC East, and you talk about a team like Alabama playing in the SEC West. The odds of Georgia having a letdown against a conference team are a lot less likely, in my opinion, than a team like Alabama, just because of the competition. So, to me, it's easier to say that Georgia is going to be 12-0 undefeated team regular season than it is for Alabama. Granted, like Jake just mentioned, 11-1, 12-0, those are very, very easy schedule predictions. So, I'm not coming out here saying that we're making hot takes or we're doing in-depth analysis and that we're breaking it down from the X's and O's, but we kind of are. And when you look at it as Georgia fans, we're super familiar with this team. We're super familiar with what we can do. And I'm very, very confident as well in a 12-0 season. I don't see any reason why any of these games should be even considered as a loss. Like Jake said, you know, there's going to be close games. There's going to be games that are a little bit tighter than you want them to be. But from an SEC West perspective, man, I just don't see it. it. It shakes out very favorable for these Bulldogs, and um, 12-0, I fully expect it, and uh, I really think that it may be worth a little flyer here to take the over, 10.5. Oh, I, def- I definitely like the over. Maybe a, an Alabama-Georgia over parlay. <laughs> yeah. Both both the top teams, both with 10.5 uh, over, over under spread. So, yeah, I mean, is is that it for Georgia? Is 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 that what you had for Georgia? That's it for me, man, 12-0 and a natty repeat. Yeah, I feel like this is one of the ones that's kind of too hard to go like super in depth in. Obviously, game by game. I mean, what do you want me to say? Forty to nothing. Uh, thirty-five to three. Um, forty-two to seven. So I'm not gonna. Yeah, go you score want us to give score. you. 
You want us to give you our actual game score predictions? Uh, sixty-nine to zero week after week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Stetson's gonna throw for three tutties, and Gunner's gonna come in and throw for three after him. So. <laughs> that's facts. Um. Yeah, but that that that's I that's also it for uh Georgia on for me too. I'm that, that was all I had through for Georgia. Uh, Twelve and zero. Well, Matt, it was another good one. We love to talk about the SEC. We love to talk about college football. We say it every episode. We're getting closer to that time of year. Um, I want to thank our sponsors, Miller Lite. Um, uh, uh, I, I don't, that's it. I don't know. Can we say that? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's no real problem with it. I mean, we can claim them, right? Right. As well. Why not? I mean, I'm sure that you know if I hold up your bottle on a web on a webcam screen, like I probably will whenever college football starts up or. Whenever we start doing live college football TikToks on the TikTok account, uh, Peach State Tailgate, um, <laughs> with Cold Miller Lights uh, in hand watching live football, it's going to be absolutely electric. And, you know, maybe they don't pay us for it, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll support your brand. Yeah, who says no? Not me. No, I have to agree with you. It was, it was a great episode. And uh, I'll hit us with the, with the stuff. Um, find us on YouTube if you want to rewatch this podcast with mine and Kenny's beautiful faces on it. You get to, well, uh, now, I, I'm going to say the hat and the shirts there. I'll say the hats and the shirts, you know, because we're rocking the, the, the Georgia apparel. Um, so if you want to find us on YouTube, it's uh, Peach State Tailgate. Uh, Twitter, we post some stuff. You'll see some memes and stuff we're posting. That's uh, at Peach State Pod. Or if you're watching the YouTube, it's on. I can never get the point right. It's right there uh, on the screen. Um, and then TikTok, uh, Peach State Tailgate is the TikTok. So. You know, if you want to find us on any of the socials, kind of keep up with what we're doing and what our plans are. Uh, we had talked about the schedule a little bit last time. We're going to try to put out episodes uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be a guaranteed set schedule because obviously stuff happens in life and um, we can't always just keep up with it. But uh, we'll definitely let y'all know on Twitter or anything like that if, if stuff is planned to change. So if we can't get an episode out, maybe we might reschedule an episode, do it a different day of the week. And uh, I'm sorry, uh, we always talk about keeping these podcasts short, and this is like the fourth time that I've mentioned this, and we're only through episode five, and we are an hour and 30 minutes in. So <laughs> we get to talking ball, and, you know, the mouth starts rolling, and the consciousness goes away. And then you look over, and you're like, holy cow, I have to get up in, like, six and a half hours. So actually, like, six hours. So this is going to be a very fun meeting in the morning, and it's going to go great. Hey, well... You know, we say it every episode, but we can't thank you all enough for listening. The reception of this podcast and the, the feedback that we've gotten has just been, it's been more than we than we imagined. And uh, we're grateful for, for every single one of you guys listening and tuning in. Um, and I believe that's going to wrap it up for episode five. So again, thank you so much. Jake, plug the socials. Check us out. Leave us a review. Um, you know, inter interact with us. We look forward to it. I know we talked about doing a Q&A coming up pretty soon. So yeah. anything you guys can give us, we appreciate it. And mm -hmm. uh, that's it for me, man. That's sure it for me it. too. Uh, I, I wanted to mention that we are uh, 10 downloads away from 100 downloads on the podcast. I, I'm not somebody that keeps numbers up, but early on, it's always fun to see where you're doing. And, you know, who knows? You might be the lucky 100. Woo -woo. So uh, again, like Kenny said, uh, thank you guys so much. And uh, that's going to be the end of the podcast. We'll see you guys on Friday. Catch y'all next time.